Father, we are moved. We are, our, our gaze is enraptured, our hearts are, are melted once again because of the Savior. What He's done, His glory, His magnificence. He has caused us to see His glory. And we trust solely in Him for our salvation. And so we pray, Father, as Jeff prayed, I also pray, God, would you come, take the things of Christ, pierce our hearts. May we revel in Christ again. Would you encourage that Christian who is hurting, who is discouraged, who is downcast? Would you save those who do not know you? We pray. Father, this is a sermon of certainties. Thank you. You've given us your word. It is the foundation by which we rest. It is the solid footing by which we build. We pray that your word would penetrate our hearts by your spirit and glorify the things of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last Friday, I got a chance to do one of the things that I, I absolutely love to do, and that is to go to different countries and encourage pastors who are in the middle of the work. And uh, my brother Jeff texted me and he said, who's our director of, uh, he's the director of mission, uh, the pastor of missions at Community Bible Church in Vallejo, our sending church. He texted me and he says, hey man, I'm coming to San Diego on Thursday. We're going to Mexico on Friday. You want to come? We're going to go see Fernando. And Fernando is a Oh, a good friend of mine, Sylvia, I've known his wife a lot longer. They are just across the border. They live in a very, very poor colony, Nido de las Aguilas. It is a eagle's nest colony. Uh, I was going there since I was a teenager, I think. And I don't think I returned there. I went several times, but I don't think I returned there. I was trying to count back. I was talking to one of the elders. It was maybe 19 years. But it was good because I remembered all the locations, and it was funny because as I walked in and I met more brothers and sisters, they were saying, Angelo, Angelo. I said, how do you even remember me? But it was good. But our purpose wasn't there just to eat good carne asada, <laughs> although that did take place. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Right? Our purpose there was to encourage because our dear friend, Fernando uh, was really struck with a, a really bad E. coli infection. So much so that it started to travel around his body and he took different antibiotics and he's lost a ton of weight. He could barely sleep. He can't hardly walk. His knees are swollen. And as I sat there, I had nothing to offer him. Nothing to offer him medically because I am not a trained medical doctor. We did have the gospel, though. See, the gospel isn't simply for non-believers. The gospel is for me right now. The gospel is for you right now. I need to know for sure what the word of God says. And I, I was just stunned because it was just like old times, right, Jeff? Just like old times. Just going and encouraging pastors. We went over there, and his wife, Sylvia, she's, she has a sweet faith. And Fernando's sharing with me, and he goes, you know, what's really hurting me is my wife. She's having to deal with this. And, and Sylvia just poured out in tears. And Brother Jeff, God used you mightily, mightily, um, used his Spanish. And as he was encouraging her, you could just see there was just wholeness developed again. See, what happens sometimes is when we are sick, we get isolated from the other believers. Sometimes he couldn't even walk to church to go to the service, and he's the pastor, so he has another elder preaching for him. But what Jeff did, God used Jeff by the word, was to remind them of the importance of the gospel to remind them of the certainties of the gospel, of where we are going at the end of all this. At the end of all this. 
We are, it seems like an uncoordinated group of ragtag people in this great commission, doesn't it? But God in his infinite sovereignty is about the glory of his son. And he is doing this work. And how he directs you, brothers and sisters, and how he keeps you is he fills you with certainties of which you can lay your life down. He doesn't want us to simply guess where we're going. He doesn't want us to simply guess about the things of Christianity, the things of Christ. He wants us to have a firm foundation such that we would build on it, take great risks for it, know that when we go forth that Christ will be with us. And so this is what John is talking about. And I got to see my brother Jeff. He just helped them to remember Christ still wants to use you. You're not dead yet. Fernando was saying, well, I can't, I can't even stand up to preach. Then you sit and preach. Christ still wants to use you. And he, you could just see the light came back on. He was inflamed again. He said, you know, I could study. He goes, I, don't, I, can't study for, I can't preach for 45 minutes. Who cares now? Preach for what you got, right? And he said, I could actually do that. I said, yes. We can do this by the power of Christ. And so even as he's doing all these medical things, we want the certainty of Christ to fill you. Absolutely sure. Absolutely sure is the title of this sermon. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would have complete confidence in all aspects of Christ's saving work in your life. So that you would have complete confidence in all aspects of Christ's saving work in your life. God does not want you to guess where you're going. I told you this story of how I met with a brother and we went to a Starbucks and he says, I'm not real sure where I'm going. I was like, you're not real sure if you trust in Christ, you know he has saved you, he has changed you. God doesn't want you to be in the fog. He doesn't want you to second guess this if you are following in his will. He says, notice all the terms of surety, of certainty in verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. Notice verse 13, chapter 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may guess. What does it say? You may estimate. He says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before him. Verse 15, if we know that he hears us in whatever he asks, we know that we have requests which we have asked from him. Verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, eternal life, Little children, guard yourself from idols. So this passage is riddled with knowing, understanding, being firm, right? There are five sureties, five certainties, five guarantees you can bank on, you could count on because Christ saved you and you passed the test. When God saves you, when he changes you, there is always a change, always a change. Those who teach that when Christ saves you and you could live any way you want, you could believe anything you want afterwards, those folks have never been saved. First John says it very clearly. First John says that the Christian will have right belief, that the Christian will have a direction of obedience, and that the Christian will have love for his brothers and sisters. We know that to be the case. We know that John is arguing this against the false teachers who say, no, you could live any way you want. The false teachers who say you could believe in Christ, but he didn't come in the flesh. It wasn't God in the flesh. He came as a phantasm or a ghost. And, and John just brushes that away. He says, no, the, there, this is the faith. So the first guarantee that if you've come to Christ, and you have come to know him, and you believe, and you trust in him. The Bible says you are now 
truly living. You are now truly living. You notice he says it is based on his word. He says here, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John doesn't tell them that you base this faith on your emotions or what you experienced when you were eight years old. He doesn't tell you you base this on some kind of mystical occurrence that has occurred maybe because a car didn't hit you or something like that when you're in traffic. He doesn't tell you that your whole life should be predicated, should be based, should find its foundation on all these things. He says that the foundations of your faith, what you should rest on, what you should bank on, is what God has written. John says, these things I have written to you with the express purpose so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he is following along in the pattern. That the word of God can be trusted. That the word of God is settled. That the word of God is something that you could rely on. Hang your hat on. See what happens in life brothers and sisters is. When the waves of trouble come. And when the waves of trial come. And they do come. If we have made life decisions. If we had made Big decisions in our lives. And they are based on things that change. It will come tumbling down. I tell you that. When the difficulties of life. And if you've not been beaten up by life. Get ready. We are in a fallen world. You will get beaten up by life. But what God says is. If you build on sandy ground. It's going to come down with a crash. But if you build on things that do not change, God, God's word, right? That is the only way you'll have a firm foundation. You remember Psalm 119, 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Oh, I love that, don't you? Oh, when the pundits and the political parties and the talk show hosts and all the all the, um, uh, David, uh, what is that guy's name? And all the uh, success gurus, Tim Robbins and Suze Orman and all those people who are telling you how to live your life, I know for one thing, they're going to come and go. They're going to live and die and their money's going to go to someone else. But I know here that his word is settled in heaven. Brothers and sisters, when you re rely on God's word, you're truly living. Isaiah 40 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Forever. 1 Peter 1 says, The word of the Lord abides forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. This is a pattern of firm, sure anchors in God's written word. What God has revealed when internalized and lived out, becomes the sure footing for the believer during the winds of change. Now, it has to be applied by faith. Notice he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. These are those, you can translate it from the original language, those who are believing, those who are believing, present tense, in the name of the Son of God, that is none other than Christ. So there is what John has written, and then there's this connection by faith. It has to be faith because faith comes with nothing. Faith doesn't come with any deals to God. Faith doesn't come with any negotiation. Faith comes empty-handed. Please help me. Have mercy on me. And so when you rest on what Christ has done, when you rest on what is written about Christ, you come in faith. And it is granted for assurance. I love this. I love this. I know, brothers and sisters, because of what Christ has done, not because of what I have done. I know because of what Christ has done that when I die, I'm going to heaven. You know that too. You know that too if you know Christ. He says here, in order that you may have eternal life. The, the word of God was written not so that you would guess this is the whole blessing of Christianity. This was 
lost in the dark ages and it was recovered in the Reformation, that there is actually a time and place when I know I'm saved. It's, and it's not a prideful, egotistical thing because it's not based on me. If it were based on me, it would be absolutely prideful and egotistical. Right? I know I did enough and in some kind of wager, you know, in, in the scale of balance of life, I did more good than I did evil. Hogwash. God says your works are like filthy rags. But I know, oh, I know I have eternal life. Do you know that? Do you know that? This eternal life, we talked about this last week, but it, it's worth it to talk about it again. This eternal life is not simply duration, although it is that. Okay? We look at it and we say eternal life, that means life for a long, long time. It's not simply for duration. In actuality, the way the scriptures teach it, the way the scriptures talk about it, it is about the quality of life. Now, will we, will we live with Christ forever and ever? Amen, we will. Doesn't Jesus say, I, I will go and there you will be with me, right? Absolutely. Will we not rejoice and worship around the throne, as Revelation 5 says, over and we will sing hallelujah, hallelujah, worthy is the lamb. Absolutely, that is true. But I'm telling you, by the word of God, we have eternal life right now. This eternal life is the richness. You remember in John 10, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, not meagerly, not, oh, I'm going to make it to heaven and if, I'm, if it kills me. Woe is me, I can't ever smile. Some people view Christianity like that. Like your Christianity has to have some kind of austere, ascetic kind of a notion to it. You always got to be suffering in something. You know, God gave us life to have it richly, to share the gospel richly, to rejoice in the growth of people in Christ. To have that richly, to see people encouraged in the faith. To grow yourself in the faith. Romans chapter 6 says that this eternal life is newness of life. It is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is, I no longer am dominated by these sins, but now I'm living in this new quality of life. But John 17 really defines it. And let's go there. John chapter 17. Remember the same author, the same author in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in John 17, we call this the high priestly prayer. This is when Christ was praying to his father. He says, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Jesus himself submitted to the time plan of the Father. He's saying the hour has come. This is where he is going to give himself. This is the apex of Christ's glory as we see it. Of his whole ministry is that he will die. And he says here, glorify your son. <laughs> Only God incarnate can receive that glory right that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that is mankind in this context that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life verse 3 same author he's going to define eternal life this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to stop. We need to stop. Because if you say you're a Christian, then you have eternal life right now. And if you say you have eternal life, that means you have a relationship 
intimate relationship with the God who created the universe. Every planet, every moon, every star, every tree, every individual, every bird that flies, every dragonfly that flies, every fish in the ocean, that creative power, eternal God. You know intimately. The word there for know is not, is not oida. It's not the knowing of facts. We know the difference of that, right? The word there for know is gnosko. It is the experiential relationship word of knowing. I know him. And brothers and sisters, because of Christ, you are allowed full access to his, to his word, to understand his word. And now you will know how he thinks what he loves, what he hates, by his word. Isn't that astounding? That is true living. Don't let anyone else dictate what it is. Sometimes I like to watch these gurus because it kind of irritates me a little bit, right? Makes me want to preach more. And so the kids and I are sitting and we're watching this financial guru and she's saying, what you need is money. You need to just... Store away a nest egg. Now, I'm not saying don't have a retirement. I'm not saying that, okay? Angelo said not to have retirement, right? I'm not saying that, right? Take care of what you need to do, right? But that should not be our end game, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And then she said one thing that struck me. She said, because money is security. And then... I looked at my kids because they were watching this. I said, is that right? And they said, no, dad. Money can come and go. You guys remember the housing bubble? Who lost money? I lost money. I thought I had money. I lost money, right? It comes and it goes. But let me tell you, if you have placed your faith in Christ you will never lose eternal life. You will never lose relationship with God the Father because Christ has purchased it once and for all. Is that something, is this theology you could rely on? Can you get back up again? Amen. So first, you are truly living. It's a different quality of life. It's eternal life. Now, secondly, I love this. Man, I don't know which one I love more. We just get to keep reading this. It says, you are now truly heard. Oh, I love this. You are now truly heard. Not by my mom or my dad. Not by my parents. Not by my Bible study leader. Not by my boss. I am truly heard by the God of heaven. Christian, you have a direct line to the God of heaven. This is what the text is saying. Notice he says in verses 14 to 17. Go back to 1 John. 1 John. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Our prayers there are three different qualities of a Christian prayer. This is a unique Christian prayer. When God saves you, he is not only, Christ has not only purchased your forgiveness, he has not only exchanged your sin for his righteousness, right? That's what occurs, right? At the cross, and then when you place faith in Jesus, there's an exchange. Your sins go on him, and his righteousness goes on you, right? He who made, he who, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become what? children of God, right? So that exchange has occurred, but I think what's wonderful as well is this relationship that we have that Christ himself has now purchased access for us. That which we didn't have before. If we recall in the in Israel temple and in the tabernacle, there's the Holy of Holies where the, uh, where the, um, the high priest can go once a year. Then there's this inner court. Then there's the outer court. I'm a Gentile. I'm not Jewish, right? I would have been way outside, right? 
I would have not been able to get inside, right? I can't even go to the White House. Yo, Trump, come hear me. I got a couple of things to say. I, I can't do that, right? Uh, I'll have secret service all over me. But that is not, that is not your relationship with God. This is what's amazing, okay? Our prayers are marked by boldness. He says, this is the confidence which we have before him. The word there for confidence is the word for boldness. It also means to able to speak clearly. It is frankness. Sometimes, you know, um, sometimes when, I was, when I'm working, uh, you ever have a boss who asks you questions, but they don't want to hear the answer, so you just don't say it anyways? Like, how does it feel to work here? Am I easy to work with? And you really want to say no, right? You're not easy to work with, right? Uh, and you want to say some things, but you know if you say that, you've tried it already. They don't want to hear that. They want you to just say yes right? This is not how you are with God. Yes, we come to him with respect, and yes, we come before him humbly, but God wants you to speak openly and being frank. Here's what's amazing, okay? When you don't think someone wants to hear your problems, God always does. He always does. When you think you've, you have run the patience out of someone and their ear, God is always there. And you could open your heart. Say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. Help me. That is reserved for you, child of God. Saint. He says, we have present tense, that is, all Christian have. That means has, right? I got to remember my grammar. All Christians have, they're, they're plural, right? This means the six-year-old who has placed their faith. This means the missionary in the field for 20 years. This means the one who's in the hospital who can't even come for a communion service. This means... The Christian who is a teenager. Brothers and sisters, you'll never call God and get the busy signal or a voicemail. Do you get it? He will hear you as if there's only one of you, but He does that for all of us. Amen? You don't go to him enough. You wait till it's really bad and then you go to him. Why do we do that? It's ridiculous. He says, he says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You have this confidence. All Christians do. And it says before him. I love that. It's not like I have to talk to. Here's what's amazing. I don't have to talk to someone to set an appointment for God. You understand? I don't have to check if his schedule is open. I go right in front of him. Before him. The word there is. Pros, pros, where we get the word prostrate, you know, when you bow. Right before him. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, Christian, he hears. Amen? Hebrews. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So he's using imagery of the Old Testament. Just as the high priest passed through the veil. 
Jesus passed through the heavens. Okay? He's saying this high priest is better than the old priest. If you read the book of Hebrews, it's always talking about Jesus is the better mediator. He is the better covenant. He is the better, he is the, uh, better high priest. So now he's saying, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold our confession. That is, this whole system and body of truth we hold together. Hold fast. And I love this. Look at verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And what he is talking about is because Jesus was incarnated, because he was fully God, yet fully human, he put on flesh, he says here, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize. What does that mean? He knows what it means to be tempted, yet he never sinned. You ever, you ever notice that you can talk to, I was talking to Fernando who was sick. He goes, and Fernando used to be a buff kind of a dude, you know. We were talking about how, man, you had guns before, you know. He was like buffed and he had a six pack and everything like that. And, and he goes, and I was talking to him and I said, but I bet you're compassionate now. I bet you have compassion. He goes, oh yeah, anytime someone's sick, I call them. I said, what happened? Because I felt it. This is what Jesus, this is what the word of God is saying. Look at here. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things. Christian, do you feel like God has abandoned you at some time? Sometimes. Do you feel like you can't make sense of things? Do you feel like you're weak? Jesus has felt that, yet he has never sinned. Right? He can sympathize with you. But let's get to the point of this. Verse 16. Okay. Verse 16. He says, therefore, therefore, because we have someone who has gone before us. He says, let us draw near. I love this. With confidence. Guess what word? Guess where we saw that word before? First John chapter 5. Same word. Okay? With boldness, with frankness of speech, with clarity, right? To the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God will work exactly when you need him, right? See, so what is he saying here? He's saying to avail yourself to this free access that you have. This is a true fact that will not be revoked if, in fact, you do believe in Christ. You can come to him at any time. You don't have to say hi to the receptionist. I used to have jobs where I had to sell stuff. And you had to get past the gatekeeper, they would say. You got to get past the gatekeeper to the decision maker, right? right? You don't need to talk to the gatekeeper. There is no gatekeeper. You go straight into the throne of grace. And you say, God help me. No one can help me now. God help me. And he is with you. Now, our prayers are marked by boldness. Our prayers are marked by expectancy. He says, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have, we have the request that which we have asked from him. Now, we know he hears us in whatever we ask. Now, sometimes you'll look at that verse and you go, that doesn't seem like me. <laughs> I'm not getting everything I ask for. That doesn't seem like me. Notice he says here, 1 John, let me get back there too with you. We have before him that if we ask anything, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which he has asked from him. Huh. How does this work? Notice the key. He says, this is the confidence which we have before him that we ask according to his will. He hears us. James says, you ask with wrong motives. See, this is the kind of prayers. Does God, does, God, uh, does God listen to some prayers and doesn't listen to others? Absolutely. The Bible is replete with that. 
Psalm 66, 18. I think that's the verse. It says, if I regard evil in my heart, he will not hear, right? James says, if we ask with evil motives, right? Or if we ask unbelieving, he won't give it to us, right? So the Bible says that when we ask, prayer primarily is not getting God to move. You can't whip God to move. That's not how the relationship is said here. What prayer is, is aligning yourself with his will. Asking things that are with, in regard to his will. Aligning your thoughts, your desires. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, God, I think Jeff told me this. I never forgot it, Jeff. You said, God is already working. We have to align ourselves with how he is working. I never thought of prayer like that before. So you taught me, man. Look at uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I love this verse. He says here, I'm the vine and my father's a vine dresser. Notice he says here, John 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me, that is, you allow Christ to work in you. You yield to his will. You yield to his desires. You depend on him. That's what abiding it means, to remain in him, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there it is again, scripture, okay? His words are now inscripturated. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Huh, there it is again. Asking of whatever, right? My father... Why is this, okay? My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, he goes, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So now Christ is saying this. And if we take this and we compare it to 1 John, 1 John tells us to ask according to his will. John 15 tells us what his will is. The will is this, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit so that prove to be my disciples. What is the prayer that God is most inclined to bless? To bless. What are the things that God is already doing? Right? What God desires to bless, what God desires to answer, are those prayers that are given that are in line with bringing glory to the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ. And so according to His will are things that bring God His glory. Why? Because now when God answers our prayers, it proves to the world that we are followers of Him, that we have answered prayer. Now how many times has this happened? I I tell you, this has happened to me. Where I'm at work, right? And there is, I used to work in a warehouse and everyone was cussing up a storm. I think every other letter was a cuss word, every other syllable, right? And as I was there, they seemed so far from God. Every time I mention it, they go, oh, what's up, preacher boy? Huh, preacher boy? What are you saying, preacher boy? They start talking. But you know what? When the rug gets pulled underneath them, when the world falls apart, All of a sudden, I see a phone call on my cell phone. Can you pray for me? My brother just died in a car accident. Can you come up here? Absolutely. Or I got this other call. Jeanette and I were in Vallejo one time, and she said, and she just called, and a sister of my coworker calls and says, my friend, uh, my sister, she just got beat up by her boyfriend. Can you guys come over and pray for us? Pray for us. Now, why did they ask us? Somewhere, somehow, they know God answers our prayers. Right? They know. They can't explain it, right? I have unbelieving relatives like that. They go, will you please pray for us? Why? Because our prayers get answered. Why? Because we aim them with what the whole point of the universe is, to bring God glory. 
So brothers and sisters, you, ha- you, you can be heard and God hears you. And he will answer your prayers. Now, here's a, a little bit, sometimes it's a puzzling part of the passage. Our prayers are marked by qualification. Now, go ahead and change your notes. I think it starts with an H. You could change it to a Q. I was thinking about this. Our prayers start with qualification. And if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, when we look at that, we would think, oh, how does this even fit? But if you notice, he is talking about asking. He's talking about praying. Okay. Now, there are a few major ways that this is um, kind of debated amongst theologians. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I don't really think it matters as much okay, of where you land on it. But there are three views, and I'll tell you which view I hold. Okay? I don't hold this as dogmatic as other parts of Scripture. Right? The sin leading to death. It could be an unbelieving teacher blaspheming the Spirit. It could be an unbeliever sinning so much that they are given over to a reprobate mind. And then the lastly, this is what I think it is. It is a true Christian sinning so much that God takes him out physically. That's what I think it is. And the reason why I think that is, is because there's actually two precedents in the New Testament. Okay. I'll tell you the first one in Acts chapter 5, if you remember Ananias and Sapphira. They're true believers in Christ, I believe that. Okay. But because uh, Barnabas, I think it was Barnabas, he sold his land and gave all the proceeds. They wanted to look like Barnabas. And they said, I'm going to sell my property And I'm going to tell everyone I gave all the proceeds, all the profits away to the church. But they kept back some of it. And so they wanted the recognition, right? But they kept back some of it. Number one, you don't have to tell anybody how much you give in that sense, right? Why why would you even say that, right? And so Peter says, Ananias, why did you do that? He goes, you didn't lie to me, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, he dies. Sapphira comes in three hours later, and and she goes, and he said the same thing. You didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, Sapphira dies. There comes a point in time, this is what I believe, that if you are a Christian and you uh, you are dishonoring the glory of Christ because of your sin, God will take you out. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is talking about communion. If You guys remember this. This is my body. Verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28. But a man must examine himself And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, This is why we talk about this warning when we have communion. To make sure that you are reconciled with God or that if you have unconfessed sin, you need to deal with that. And then he says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. So, the best I can interpret from that text is that if we dishonor God in such a blatant way, here, according to verse 30, apparently you can become sick as his discipline. Or a number sleep, which 1 Thessalonians we know to be a euphemism for death. All that to say, that our prayers are our prayers are marked by boldness, our prayers are marked by expectancy, but they're also marked by qualification. There are times when God is doing a work in the discipline of a Christian that we we don't even need to pray for that. It's going to occur, right? We don't even need to 
He says here, all righteousness is sin. I do not say that we should make request for this. And that's the best probable interpretation I can do for that. If you have a better interpretation with more evidence, I'd love to talk to you. Right? Um, let's see. <laughs> Three, four, and five. Okay. Three, four, and five. Verse 18. First John. Verse 18. We know that one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Number three, you are now truly free. When I say free, that means you are free from the dominion of sin. He says, those who are regenerated, we know that no one who is born of God sins. We know this from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. He says here, chapter 3 and verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So what this is saying is just a reiteration of the whole book, that if you've been born of, get, of God, you don't continue in sin. That where there are sins is not the instance of sins, but where there are sins is a present tense, ongoing, characteristic life of sin. So what we're saying, is we're, we're not saying that the Christian is perfect, okay? We're saying that there is a new direction. We, seek, we don't seek for perfection. We seek for direction, right? The Christian's life, there is a marked change when they are saved, that they don't stay in sin. Why? Because they've been born again, and now you have new desires, and the things that you used to love, you now hate. And the things that you now hate were the things you used to love. God changes you. You're preserved. You're born of God. You're protected. Fourthly, you do now truly belong. I love this part. You do now truly belong. It says, we know that we are of God. You're a member in God's family. So many texts. Colossians chapter 1, he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. Philippians chapter 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not citizens of this earth. Yeah, I'm an American citizen, absolutely. But my true citizenship is in heaven. And this is why, secondly, you are a stranger to this world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's politics, it's views, it's delights, it's entertainment, it's view of Christ, it's system. All of that is foreign to us now. Do you remember that when you got saved? Now, when people look at your life, if you are walking in Christ, they say, what a strange person. Why would you give up an hour and a half to go worship God on a Sunday? Don't you know there's football? Right? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? Why would you spend some time on a Wednesday night to get together in fellowship? Don't you know we need to sleep? Right? First Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. We're aliens and strangers. And lastly, lastly, you can now truly worship. Christ is the Son of God. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And secondly, Christ is God. Look at the strongest, the, some of the strongest language on Christ's deed. He says, we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Notice, we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now we're set free to worship. Christ alone should be worshiped. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So these are the certainties and the anchors that we can live by. Brothers and sisters, you have solid footing. If you don't have this, God has given this text so that you would turn, not so that you would wallow in the mud, so that you would turn and turn to Christ and trust in him. God the Father requires absolute holiness. In the fall in Genesis chapter 3, man has sinned. 
Because of that sin, it is spread to all of mankind, and we are in sin. This sin separates us from having a relationship with God. Unless we trust in Christ who came from heaven, fully God and fully man, to die on the cross for our sins. Unless we trust in him fully, we will not be saved. We have to place our full faith in him. When we do, we are saved and he regenerates us and changes us such that we start to follow God and seek after him. And this is why John says, all these things could be warped. Your mind could be distorted. You could be messed up if you allow idols in your life. Not just the wooden idols, the idols made of stone, but just the things that seek to gain prominence in your life over God. So, here are the anchors, brothers and sisters. In Christ, you are now truly living. In Christ, you are now truly heard. In Christ, you are now truly free. In Christ, you do now truly belong. You belong in God's family. And in Christ, you can now truly worship. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your glory, at what you give us. We're amazed at this firm foundation of living. We know we can trust in you, trust in your son. I pray for that hurting Christian out there. Give them strength once again. May they get up again. May they hear your word and get up once more. Help us to sing. Bless the rest of this day. Bless, bless our uh, family meeting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.